When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Jay Scott, and you were listening to The Hook, the ultimate rock community podcast. What's up, everyone? Hope you're having a swell, splendid day. My guest today is Ann Estella from at Anastella Rocks on Twitter, at Anastella Rocks on Facebook. Uh, you can visit her YouTube page under Anastella Rocks and also Instagram, Ann underscore Estella underscore Rocks. How are you doing today, Ann? Hi, really nice to speak to you. How about you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Like I said uh, to you previously, uh, before we got on the on the call here, I appreciate you doing this. I've I've wanted to talk to you now for some time, and uh, look forward yeah, to the definitely. conversation. Sure. Okay. So we start every show the same way every time we have a new guest for the first time, and we always ask the same first question, and that is the essence of the show. Like every rock song has a hook that sucks you in. Every rock fan has a moment, whether it's a song, a band, a performance, an album that sucked you in, that hooked you on rock and roll. What hooked you in? Oh, well, uh, if you read the interview with me that uh, that I did recently on The House, you probably know the answer to that one already. Uh, But if not, I'll tell you, it would have been um, Appetite for Destruction, without a doubt. From Guns N' Roses, a great yep. album from uh, way back yeah. in the 80s. Yes, a huge impact here in the States, too, as well. How did that... Yes, I know. Yeah, how did that, um, you know, hook you? What was it about it that, you know, kind of sucked you in and brought you into to your rock and roll journey? Well, you know what? It's hard to pinpoint exactly what it was about that album. I mean, it's an incredibly special album, um, I'm sure. You, you can't really de- deny the impact it has on uh, the world of rock and metal, but um, mixture of the actual voice, the, the vocals, just the the energy and the passion in it really is unlike anything I'd really been listening to until that point. So that was definitely a, a life changer for me. You know, interesting note about that record when the first single dropped in the U.S. "Welcome to the Jungle." it didn't get mm. any response or the response was very little and they had to re-release it like eight months later. And when they released yeah. it eight months later, it completely resonated with everybody. It completely grabbed everybody's attention and brought them in. But I remember when it was debuted on MTV late at night yeah. on a Saturday and it didn't draw any interest or you know, the interest from people was very minimal and it kind of fell flat. It wasn't until that re-release yeah. that it really garnered the attention that, you know, made it one of the greatest rock songs. And then the album turned out to be one of the greatest albums of all time. Absolutely. Yeah. So after Guns N' Roses, where did it go from there? Like, how did you evolve? You know, I read some of the interview for people haven't read it. You know, why don't you explain kind of where your journey in rock went from there? Um, well, I started listening 
into other bands such as um, Skid Row, Metallica, Aerosmith, um, you know, other big influential rock bands. Um, I had a couple of friends that were also into rock and metal. One was into the more extreme end of the spectrum, say, um, and the other one was into more glam and punk. So I kind of got into both sides of that as well, and I was exposed to quite uh, a wide range of, of different music. And, of course, uh, Brit rock was quite a big thing as well at that time, and there were bands like The Almighty um, that I absolutely loved. Um, unfortunately, they, they're no, no more, but... Um, they were an incredible band live as well. Um, and the Wild Hearts. So we're still going. So um, that's that's where my rock and roll journey sort of was, was leading, really. Yeah, and I also read, too, in the interview how you kind of went away from it for a while. You know, you, you had other interests, um, and it wasn't until you saw Guns N' Roses on a recent tour that it brought you back mm into into the arms of rock and roll. That, yeah, that's right. You know, I was very much into um, rock while I was at university. And there was a great rock scene up in Manchester. You know, we had uh, the indie scene, of course, with, with bands like Oasis, who were absolutely huge when I first came to live here for university. And then I sort of stayed on in Manchester. And the rock scene sort of died down. And, uh, you know, sort of life took over, I guess. And uh, I was working in the city uh, as a writer. Nothing to do with music, though. Um, and yeah, I sort of had assumed really that the whole music scene had died down, not only in Manchester, but I guess in the UK in general. Uh, you know, I wasn't really listening to any new music. And um, yeah, it wasn't until really that I went to see Guns N' Roses again. That's my. Um, my interest, you could say, was sparked again, you know, to, to really find out what other music was out there. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, I've had, you know, similar similar circumstances as well. Um, you know, I probably in my mid-20s, um, I've always loved rock and roll. I mean, it's always been my first love of music has been rock music. and. Mm. Yeah. There have been points in my life where I've kind of strayed off the path and gone down different roads. I mean, the music that I've gone into, like singer songwriter, independent artist, you know, was still rock and roll, so to speak, but it wasn't the edgy hard rock that I grew up with. But I always, yeah. no matter how you know where I go in my in my journey with music, I always seem to come back to rock and roll. It has that. I don't know what you call it, that, that way to kind of keep sucking you back in. And, and I always enjoy. Yeah. 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 And I always enjoy like when you rediscover music that maybe you didn't pay attention Mm -hmm. enough to years ago, or the song didn't connect with you back then. I always believe, and I've said this before, music has to do a lot with timing, where you're at in life, where your mind's at, what's going on in your life. And some songs, some yeah, artists, may, yeah, may, they may not resonate with you right at that time, but mm. you know, five years down the road, ten years down the road, you'll pop in an album that you listened to twenty thousand times before, and that song that you didn't like before, all of a sudden, will sound completely different for you. And it's it's yeah. kind of amazing how that works. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think uh, you know you could listen to lyrics of something that at one point probably didn't mean anything to you and then later on in your life you think oh you can absolutely relate that to something that's happened to you personally so yeah it's very powerful for sure for sure so new music um has kind of become your thing and kind of your focus on what you write about and what you post on your social media where did that motivation come from to kind of grab a hold of the new music that's coming about in rock in the UK? That would have come from the, probably from when I first started reviewing, actually. I was uh, reviewing a gig uh, of a band that I'd seen during the 90s and loved. And uh, they come to Manchester to play. And I went along. Um, I'd been in touch beforehand with uh, Manchester Rocks, 
uh, to find out what was going on locally with the rock scene, if there was one even. But, you know, I hadn't even heard of Manchester Rocks. And then all of a sudden, do a Google search and they come up. I had a look at the website, realised, yes, there must be something going on in Manchester. And um, because I was going to this gig already, uh, I offered to review it for them. Uh, like I said, I had been write- a writer before, but not with music. Um, and so I went along. Uh, there were three bands playing, and it was a local Manchester band that I'd never heard of before, a young band called Gorilla Riot. And, of course, they came on first, and I was just completely blown away. I had no idea that music like that was being made anymore, uh, let alone in Manchester. Uh, they had such a sort of rich southern sound and very different from the what I associated with Manchester music, for example, Oasis, so completely different. And, um, you know, so I wrote my review, was absolutely amazed by what I'd seen and decided this is what my focus would be. You know, so much has been written, of course, about the the big influential bands of the 80s, 70s. And I didn't really want to, to focus on that anymore, or even the bands that have come around again, uh, you know, and reformed, say, after decades in some cases. I didn't really want that to be my focus. I thought, no, there's some amazing music that's being made now, and that's what I want to be concentrating on. When you decide to go down that path, be a, an advocate for new rock music, what's some of the yeah. things that you learned that were unexpected? You know, going and in, diving into the scene and talking with all these new artists, what did you not expect to find or, or see um, in, your, in your evolution here? Well, that's a very good question. <laughs> As you know, lots of the local venues are closing down. Uh, or you might not know, but there are lots of small venues over here in the UK that are, are shutting down. And there are an awful lot of bands wanting to play, but now finding it extremely difficult. Um, you know, so, well, that's one of the reasons. Uh, the other thing is getting people, getting younger people to come and see live rock music seems to be very difficult. And when I go to uh, what we call new wave of classic rock, concerts, it tends to, the crowd there tend to be older and a lot older than the musicians themselves. So although there seems to be a lot of interest in the music itself, the live side of things doesn't seem to be doing quite as well as it should be. Um, So that's something I think really that we need to try and, and concentrate on, keeping the small local venues open and then trying to get younger people along to the gig. Why do you think younger people are either resisting new rock music or maybe not being exposed to it? Where, where do you think that issue, where, where, where does that stem from? I really, I couldn't say. I think possibly they're not using the same sort of social media platforms like Facebook, you know, to interact with the bands as much as older people. I don't know if that's true or not, but I just don't think the exposure to rock music is out there. You know, like, you know, we used to have MTV and of course that's now full of shows that have got nothing to do with music at all. So um, I think they're just not hearing it around them. So unless they go looking for it specifically in certain places, they're not coming across it. And I think that's the problem. You know, you made mention in your interview how it's so easy to find new rock music. You know, it's so, you have so many social media platforms. You have YouTube, you've got Twitter, you've got Instagram. It's, you know, especially the YouTube platform where an artist or a band can post their full song. You know, almost, it's almost like a, a, I don't want to say it's like an MTV, but it gives you the access to music like MTV once, once did. However, it's so easy to find music but it's hard for bands to gain traction in getting people and driving people to their social media outlets. You know, everything, the, the, the yeah. structure is there. The Definitely. Right. But it's the pull. And I think the same thing is happening in the U.S. where there's so many great bands, great new bands. Yeah. Either people have the opinion that new music sucks, which 
I don't think they've been exposed to the right music or some of the bands that do get promoted over other bands are not as necessarily a good representation of what rock music is. Plus the definition of rock music keeps changing too. So what was considered like new wave back in the eighties is now almost like rock music. And for someone that grew up listening to Led Zeppelin or Van Halen or Def Leppard or whoever the bands are, they're not going to respond to that type of rock music when you call it that. So that kind of gives them a preconceived notion of what music is today. So that's, that's an issue. Um, But I just think that, you know, people have this idea that there's no good new rock music, which is false. Um, I think as much, you know, as many friends as I have that are in, I don't know if they have this out in the UK or what the extent of it, of the scene is, but there's a lot of bands that are cover bands that play other people's music mm-hmm. and play at these pubs and, and clubs. And, and, and a lot of people go and see them to hear yeah. an ACDC tribute band or a Led Zeppelin tribute band. So on a Friday, Saturday night, if you want to go out to a bar and hear music nine times out of 10, you're going to go to a bar that has a band that's playing music you're familiar with. Where instead, years ago, there was just all all original acts, and you would go see two, three bands playing at one club on a Friday, Saturday night, and that's how bands would be exposed. It'd be a scene. Um, And that was accepted by the audience back then. And I just don't think, I don't see that here at least. And it it sounds like in the UK, it doesn't exist either. I mean, I don't know about cover bands so much. I very rarely come across any cover bands. So, um, I can't say I've seen any either, but I guess that's not where my interest lies, really. No, but what I'm saying, um, though, but what I'm saying though, is, is that is there a scene, you know, where you're at of, you know, of having cover bands play at these pubs and getting a lot of people at these bars and clubs that go see these bands that are playing other people's music, rather than going to the mm-hmm. club that has the original act, you know, with the original music, and you know, there's just being barely anybody there. I, I've not noticed that personally over here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not really aware of whether cover bands over here do attract a lot of people to go and see them or not. What I do know is that when I go along to gigs, um, of course, I'm generally reviewing what I'm doing and I'm always there from the beginning. I watch all the apps. What I would say to anybody wanting to find out about new music is if they're going along to one of these gigs, don't just go for the, the headline act. Go at the beginning, stick around, watch the other the other bands. And it's amazing how many times I hear people saying, wow, I've discovered a great new band because they were playing it such and such, they were supporting. And, you know, they were fantastic. And for me, that's the best way, I think, that people can go and find out about new bands. I agree. Um, yeah them live <laughs> as they were intended. Yeah. And predominantly I see a lot of shows as you do, and I have a good mix. You know, there, there are a lot of bands that I go see that are fairly new and there are bands or artists I see that have been around. So I probably would say it's probably split 50, 50 for me. Um, you know, like yeah. tonight, for instance, I'm going to the Sebastian Bach show that he's performing here locally, but Next week, I'm going to go see Rival Sons and Tyler Bryant. So, you know, newer yeah. artists, you know, so it's kind of it's kind of split for me. But I do see a good mix, though, at shows. I do see young people, especially yeah. I took my son to see Greta Van Fleet back in December. Yeah. There were people there my age, but there were also young kids there, which was a good sign. It was a good thing to see that young people were actually at a live <laughs> show. But I still agree with you that it's it's something that needs that's really where the push is going to have to come from is young people being exposed to yeah. the music um so they can go see well, it well, live what, what, yeah what i have noticed though um on the other side of this is that festivals over here are becoming more and more family friendly and rock festivals are attracting uh, a much younger crowd and i say younger i don't mean the teenagers i mean actually yeah, the children because people are bringing their kids along. Um, so, you know, hopefully that's going to rub off on them and they're going to be brought up with, uh, you know, live rock music. 
Um, but that's something I have seen quite a lot. So all the festivals that I've been going to uh, have certainly been very family-friendly. We get kids right at the front. And I, I suppose it is nothing for teenagers, though. So you've got the sort of parents and you've got the younger kids. So I, I think it's probably a question now getting the teenagers along. And, you know, those in the 20s as well coming to, to watch the gigs and go to the festivals. I brought my son to his first rock concert when he was five years old. Um, it was a show. It was an all ages show for an artist that I like called named book named Butch Walker, who is one of my favorite artists and took him to see it. He loved it. And now he's been to, he's 14. He's been to about 16, 17 concerts. Uh, he enjoys going, he loves live music, but it was a push from me, you know, his father to, not have him like this, but just expose him to rock music. And that's another, yeah. that's another issue I have too. Like people I grew up with that love the music that I, I loved are not exposing their kids to that music. You know, they're not, mm-hmm. they're not playing. I, I remember when my, my son, uh, I picked him up from his mother's house and he's in the back seat of the car. And I've told this story a couple of times before he started singing poker face by Lady Gaga, and he was yeah. like four years old or whatever. And I go, I go, what do you, you know, what are you singing? And he's like, oh, it's Poker Face by Lady Gaga. And I'm like, all right, yeah. I need to step it up as a, as a father <laughs> because, um, <laughs> you know. So then I just started playing. I didn't like, you know, say, oh, listen to this. I would just play the music in the car when we were driving from one point to another. And he got to yeah. gain interest in the music and and started asking questions about it. Um, I think that's an aspect yeah. too, but I still also think that the one difference between the generations from the past versus the now generation is the physical connection to music. And mm-hmm. I think because there's no, or there or it's becoming less and less of a tangible piece of art where you can touch, you can see, you can feel, and now it's point click download and then skip, skip, skip to the song you like. I think there's less of a connection with the generation now than there was previously, which is what's hurting the connection to rock music. Cause rock music relies so much on that look, touch, feel aspect of the art, you know, the album cover, the liner notes, the production, the presentation that all plays a yeah. part in it. I mean, think about those rock records you had when you were younger and the artwork yeah. and how much it connected with you. Oh. And I think that is yeah. what's driving the disconnect, in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, now a lot of music that the kids listen to is from Xbox, from uh, computer, from, from things that the kids that sorry, their friends are doing. So they're not really being exposed to, to music in the same way that I was or right. you were. Um so yeah, I think you've got to make an extra effort to, to push the rock music onto the younger generation these days. Yeah, no, it's it's. I think that's where the key is. Is once the generation starts connecting with the art in a physical way, I think you'll see because the bands coming out now, whether they're you know in the UK, Europe, or in the states or wherever they're coming from, the new stuff is really really good. And it's, it's, you know, I I was, when I was talking to Mike from, you know, KRA, Keep Rock Alive, we had the conversation, we're both big baseball fans. And you you always hear the, the rock fans say, oh, they're not as good as the bands from yesterday. They're not as good as the bands that Mm -hmm. we grew up with. Well, if you're a baseball fan and you like a baseball team like the Yankees and you know, Babe Ruth was a great baseball player. And so was Joe DiMaggio mm-hmm. and Mickey Mantle and Reggie Jackson and Derek Jeter and now Aaron Judge. So these are all baseball players that have played throughout Yankees history. And they're all yeah. great players. They all played during different times, different generations. So why can't it be the same? Why can't you appreciate the Babe Ruths like the Rolling Stones or the Beatles or the Zeppelins, but also like the new rookie that's on the team, like the you know, massive wagons or like the Greta Van Fleets or whatever the band is, you can like yeah, each one and you can, you can 
have that connection with each band and like them for what they are. There's never going to be another Beatles. There's never going to be another Stones, another Zeppelin, whatever. But there's going to be new stuff that's going to be just as good. I firmly believe that. I When people say that, when I, I tell people the new stuff is just as good, they look at me like I'm crazy. <laughs> you know, they're like, yeah. But it is. It, it, it's just, you know, it's different. It's not the same. So, no, uh, I mean, some of it is, is so exceptional that anyone tries to say it, there's no new, great new music being made. I, I just kind of want to, you know, want to shake them and say, listen to this, you know, but it's absolutely true. You know, there's a lot of, of new music out here in the UK at the moment, an awful lot of it. But the percentage of really, really good new music is actually really high. I mean, a lot of it is is exceptional, and um, I think people are just are missing out on it, and it's a shame. I agree. I agree. So let's circle back with the interview about your writing and the publications you write for. And I found it really yeah. interesting how it kind of, I don't want to say it happened by accident, because you went for it. You know, like you went, you made the call yeah. to see if there was some some, you know, you know, if you could get on as a writer for the, for a publication and then it kind of just steamrolled into other opportunities for you. How did that, you know, right, right. And that's great. So how how did that, I know you, you talk about writing previously to doing, you know, the publications that you work for, but you know, where did that motivation come from? And I know it talks about it in the interview, but for people who haven't read it, I find it really interesting. So like I said, where did that motivation come from to kind of go into this rock journalist journey for you? The motivation, I think, well, first of all, when I started it, I think Mary Parsons would be any good at it, to be honest. I knew I was a good writer and I was a good researcher. That's what I did. But, you know, music journalism is something a little bit different for me. And when my first review was published, it was published straight away, completely unedited. I thought, oh, I'm actually not bad at this. And so I just started doing more and more. And I got a really, really good reaction from people for my writing. Um, and I think it was just, just getting that good response and, and feeling like I was doing something positive. And not only that, but something very creative that had definitely been lacking in my life until that point. And you know, growing up, I was always quite creative and arty person. I enjoyed English and I enjoyed writing and lots of other arts and music and, and anything arty, basically. Um, but I didn't really have that in my life at this point. And so when I started writing about music, it just brought together all sort of aspects of my personality that haven't really been explored as much as they should have been by this point. And um, I felt I could really reach my potential, my creative potential as a person, you know, just doing what I was doing. So that's where motivation came from. It wasn't from money or, or from doing it for financial reasons or anything like that. It was um, literally just something I enjoyed that I realized I was good at, that I got a good reaction for, and I felt I could sort of make a difference. And um, so I just kept going. <laughs> that's what happened. That's awesome. What over the past year, you know, let, let's take a snapshot of the past 365 days from where you were, Uh-oh. from where you were a year ago to now, what okay. do you think has been the biggest impact you've had? That's hard to say. Um, I've done a lot of album and EP reviews and I've covered festivals. I, doing fewer music reviews now simply because I'm just not finding the time and everything else that I've been doing um, for my YouTube channel but that's probably got to be the biggest impact I'd say, the fact that I've started my YouTube channel now and whereas before I was writing for four publications, which I'm still writing for, uh, I have to say um, mainly doing published interviews for them and occasional music reviews and gig reviews which, which I do really enjoy um, I think the biggest impact would be my channel because that's something a bit different from what I was doing before. Um, it's me talking to the band uh, about what they're doing, 
So rather than hearing my opinion on the music and in my experience, you're sort of hearing from them. So, um, yeah, that's something I definitely want to do more of uh, and I'm really enjoying. So I've got another three interviews in the next two days. So it's, uh, it's all go at the moment. Well, it sounds like you're having a big impact. You know, when I read it in the interview, the, uh, the fact that you're getting bands to send you press kits and, inf- you know, music that they've recorded, you know, obviously it's resonating with the bands that are out there that you're, you've become, you know, a person that can have an impact on their career. So that's huge. Yeah. I mean, it's not something I expected when, when I first started writing, um, you know, press passes and things for gigs were always uh, applied for for me by the publications I was writing for. And, you know, if I wanted to review an album, I would either contact the band myself or uh, one of the publications would have the music files that they would send directly to me. And that's all kind of changed, really. As people heard about me and what I was doing, people started sending me things independently. So I was getting music sent from um, musicians and bands as well as managers and then there's the PR companies as well. Um, so they all now, I'm all, all the email list. So every day I'm getting new music sent to me so I sort of choose what I want to do or which interviews I want to, you know, who I want to interview and that sort of thing. So that's quite a nice position to be in. So I'm not really being asked by any publications to um, write for them as such. I'm sort of, choosing to take on whatever I'm interested in and then offering it to one of the publications, you know, to, to feature um, either as a, an interview, an article or a music review. Um, or quite often, uh, you know, specifically for an interview, maybe prior to a tour or they're coming to Manchester, they're going to play here, so I arranged to do an interview with them before the gig. So it all sort of has fallen into place, I'd say, very, very nicely for me. And it doesn't really seem like work at all, which is, which is great. So that's how, how, how we wish it all was. Uh, you know, whatever field you're in, I think if it doesn't feel like it's work, it's, uh, it's like combining business and pleasure, really. So best of both worlds. Absolutely. Yes, I agree 100%. You know, if you can find something that does not feel like work, it is the best of both worlds. Hmm. Yeah. In meeting with the bands and interviewing them and talking with them and connecting with them, what are some of the things that you see, you know, kind of the common thread between all of them that is helping them? And what's the common that may not be helping them, like kind of maybe hindering them? Is that good? Yes. Um Lack of funds is usually something that hinders them because they don't get paid very much for gigs. They've got to cover travel expenses, accommodation. Um, yeah, it can be hard you know, that way um, financially for a lot of these bands to put tours on. Um, and even finding promoters to, to arrange gigs for them across the country, that's something. And, you know, people contact me, they say, we really want to play in Manchester. Do you know any promoters? Do you know any venues? And I, you know, I don't really, I'm not really in touch with promoters as such, but I have a list of venues that I put together in anticipation of being asked for it. So that's something quite handy. You know, I'm often sort of sending emails back, you know, saying, here's the list, you know, good luck sort of thing. But um, that's something then definitely, I think the touring aspect is something that fans can find challenging. Uh, what, what was the other part of the question you were asking? And then what's the, you know, the common thread between all the bands that are helping them? You know, like, what do you see that... Helping them? Yeah. Um, uh, social media, I'd say, is something that's happened the most. The fact that there are outlets now where they can communicate directly with their fan base and potential future, future fans as well. There's Facebook groups, for example, uh, New Wave of Classic Rock, that, um, funnily enough, started out around the same time that I started as well. So that's that sort of all fallen into place very nicely, uh, not just for myself, but for a lot of the new bands as well. They've now got somewhere dedicated to promoting their music where they can go and 
you know, find basically their target audience. So social media has definitely helped. Well, the problem some bands have is having finding the time to actually use social media uh, to the fullest. I mean, they're, they're all working full-time jobs. So, and then they're practicing and they're, they're arranging tours and incredibly, incredibly busy. So, what it really takes is either, if you haven't got a manager to do this for them, it really takes one of them to, to really be on the case and get onto it and join all the platforms they can and really post and promote themselves as much as they possibly can do. So, um, yeah, that's really down to them. And then I guess they'll find their audience that way. That's definitely something that they all are able to do if they have the time. Now, in terms of the future, 365 days from now, I know you've really focused on the YouTube page, but you know, where do you see yourself as you move forward with the music in the UK? Okay, so where do I see myself? <laughs> this is a, a tricky one. Originally, when I started writing, you know, I was happy I was writing for one publication, and then I I added more um, to get more experience and more experience with the industry and different people. And and as that's gone along, I thought, well, you know, it'd be great to write for one of the really big magazines. Um, we still have a few print magazines here that that get quite well read and people take notice of. And I thought, right, well, it'd be great to write for them. Um, but generally, they don't take new freelancers on. Um, you know, there's just no money in it anymore. So it's a, it's a real shame, but I feel that the print side of the industry is not really the future as far as I'm concerned anyway. And that's no longer where I want to be. Um, yeah, I still enjoy writing, of course, but the YouTube side of things was something that I hadn't originally thought of, and it was Mike at, at Keep. Um, Rock Alive that suggested it to me. Um, I'm a bit of a technophobe, so I don't really know how it all works. And thought, my well, I'm very reluctant. I'll give it a try. And then, as I got more and more into it, I enjoyed it more and more. Um, so, for me, I definitely want to head in, in that direction. Uh, it it is quite slow to pick up, as with social media in general, when you first join Twitter or Facebook or whatever it is. Uh, and I joined all these platforms pretty much from scratch when I started writing and set up my Facebook page and my, my Twitter account, uh, Instagram. That was all very, very new to me. Um, as far as developing the YouTube channel, I mean, what I really wanted was a TV show. You know, when I was getting into rock in the 90s, it was uh, a program called Noisy Mothers, uh, which was presented by Crusher. <laughs> Sorry, my voice is going a little bit, but uh, go with me. Uh, and you know, I saw some amazing videos there for the first time, all my favourite bands. Um, and I'd love to do something like that, but just focusing on new music and as well as interviews with new bands. There's nobody doing anything like that, as far as I know. Um, there are YouTube channels, uh, of course, as well as my own, but I'd either like to develop that or, or go into TV. I'm not really sure. I'm hoping the, the answer will become apparent or, you know, things tend to fall into place with me, I find. Um, so hopefully the, the answer will appear. Kind of like a web-based show is, is what you're looking to do or, or like a like a live blog or what, uh, you know, are there any... Pl- no, do something like terrifies me, so I don't think that's going to work. Mm-hmm. Um uh, so, no, I don't think I don't think I've wanted something like. But yeah, I think maybe expanding the YouTube channel will be the way forward. So, meeting with all the bands, talking with these new artists, what or who I should say, who are the bands that people in the US should really take note of? That's that's happening in the UK. Oh well, there's so many. Uh, I'll say Massive Wagon. I love those guys. Uh, yeah. Uh, Stonebroken, uh, bands like Hollow Star, Gorilla Riot, Riot of Creed. Oh, goodness. There's so, so many uh, Rocket Dolls. 
I feel like, you know, after this conversation's finished, I'll go back and think, oh, no, how could I have missed out this time? How could I miss out this time? Mm-hmm. There literally are that many at the moment um, that, you know, it's impossible to give you sort of a definitive, definitive answer on that. Um, but, yeah, the ones I've mentioned definitely um, it would be a good start, put it that way. <laughs> I had an interesting conversation with someone from Massive Wagons on Twitter. And it was about them playing the U.S. The response that I got was, it's hard to find a promoter here to take a new band or a band with not a lot of exposure in the U.S. from the U.K. and put them on a bill or put them on. Is that pretty much what everybody's thinking and and, and the biggest challenge? Because everybody does want to come play the U.S. And I just feel now that it's become a little bit more difficult than maybe it was years ago because of the lack of audience for rock music at this time or new rock music. Yeah, it, that, that is true. And I see this on the other side. I get um, messages from bands overseas wanting to tour the UK. And in fact, even yesterday, somebody contacted me, a band that I've been in touch with previously saying, we want to come over to UK during promoters and put us in touch with. Now, I've previously looked into this for other bands and the answer I get isn't a particularly encouraging one. It's no, it's too expensive. So, yeah, I think from a promoter's point of view, it's very, very difficult to take on bands from overseas for, for probably a variety of reasons, but cost is definitely one of them. I think one of the biggest things for me, I just read an article within the last month about a potential tour between Iron Maiden and Judas Priest. The opener on the bill would be a band called Testament. Okay. You know, Iron Maiden, Judas Priest are these two big name bands that everybody knows about and could fill, yeah. could fill arenas, could fill, I don't know if they could fill stadiums, but they could certainly fill arenas. And they're taking this band Testament on, on the road. Or if that's, if the, if the rumor is true, that's who they would be taking. And my yeah. biggest concern and pushback, whatever you call it, would be here are two bands that are going to bring in thousands of people to see them live. Why wouldn't they want to take a band from the UK who's had limited exposure on the road with them in the US and put them on the bill? I, yeah. I, I think that is something that I don't see happening a lot where these big name bands are taking these younger, under you know, underexposed bands on the road with them? Like it used to happen. There used to be that all the time where a band would take an, an artist that you know they liked and they wanted to bring on the road with them. I don't know if it's the control from the management companies or the record companies that you know doesn't allow them to do that. But you know, not that Testament's a bad band or a thrash band, but I don't think. Testament is going to sell more tickets for Judas Priest and Iron Maiden if that's the goal, right? I don't think that they're yeah. going to have a. I don't think they're going to have a huge impact on their bottom line. Um, no. But I, I, I just think that's a lost opportunity for the bigger bands to kind of funnel these newer artists in front of people and get them exposure. And I don't know why that doesn't happen more. Yeah, I mean, it does happen. I say it does happen more in the UK, probably. I mean, we've just had an announcement that. Um, Glenn Hughes, who's, who's doing uh, the classic Deep Purple tour uh, in November, has just announced that uh, Piston and another band are going to be supporting. So, you know, get, getting new bands exposure that way, uh, which is absolutely great. So I think we do we do have that more over here. Um, so, you know, it's a shame that it's not happening more than it is. Um yeah. And it, it, obviously, I can't comment about the US because I, I don't really know what, what the scene is like as much over there as it is here. But, um, but it's definitely a great way to get exposure to new bands, you know, bring them on tour with, with a more established, well-known band, definitely. Yeah, I think that's just, a, like I said, a lost opportunity for everybody that, you know, if I, I mean, I always check out the opening act like we talked about, you know, before, earlier in the conversation. Yeah. And I would love to go go to an Iron Maiden concert or to a Judas Priest concert and go see a band on the bill before 
be exposed to them and become a fan of their music. That just doesn't happen like it did before, like it did years ago. Um, and I don't, I, I, I've yeah. heard that the record companies really kind of control that now or the management companies or the promoter like Live Nation or whoever, who's ever doing the show. Mm-hmm. Most of the time it's Live Nation. Um, and that's disappointing because I'd love to see a band like Massive Wagons come to the U.S. I just saw Temperance Movement, uh, who's from the U.K., open up for Tyler Bryant or do a cold headlining tour with Kyle, Tyler Bryant in the U S over the summer. And they're an amazing yeah. band. They're an amazing band. And the, you know, they did, I think 20 dates in the U S or 15 dates in the U S or something like that. It was a very short tour, but I'd love to see more of that. I, I just don't think that happens enough. Yeah. I mean, we, we do hear of, um, some of the newer buttons now going to, uh, overseas and in various countries, uh, generally in Europe, but, uh, for example, there's a great um, blues rock guitarist and singer songwriter called Jack J Hutchinson, and he's just been over to Brazil to do a tour there. Um, so, you know, people go over there and check him out, and, and um, you know he's absolutely fantastic. But we also have Chris Barris, who's another great, you know, blues rock guitarist, and they're absolutely smashing it at the moment over here with blues rock. You know, phenomenal. Um, it's just nice to hear that Jack had gone over to Brazil and is sort of exposing his music out of the field. Um, yeah, I'd love to hear that happening more. Uh, it's not as ha- happening as much as it should, but it is happening. So, you know, that is great for the band. So you've interviewed a lot of bands. Who do you find the most interesting? Who I found the most interesting? What do you mean by interesting? See, what I like in my interviews is when it's really fun and the personality of the band members really comes out. Um, and I did, did a, a really fun interview with a band called Riders Creed a while ago and also uh, Dead Man's Whiskey. And they were both published interviews. And I transcribed a whole lot. And I thought, well, what a pity, you know, it wasn't filmed because you'd get a bit humor across more. And that was one of the things that got me thinking about doing the in-person interviews and filming them rather than just publishing them. Um, I did an interview with Glenn Hughes recently and I published one fancy hero magazine and of course he, you know, he had a very interesting life and still continues to have a very interesting life so and that was great and it was lovely he told me things that he said at the time he'd never told anybody before so you know about his parents so that was really really special um, and yeah very interesting interview but the fun ones are the ones that I really really enjoy so uh, there's an Australian band called Massive. I absolutely love interviewing them. I've spoken to them a few times now. Uh, they've interviewed me as well. And they're just so much fun. It's not like an interview. It's just, you know, having a chat about whatever we've been doing and wherever we are. And it's, yeah, it's great. So I hope people enjoy watching those sort of uh, interviews because they're definitely my favorite kind. Who would be the person that you would love to interview and talk with about new music, where new music is? and where it's going? Oh, I don't think there is anyone in particular. I think every, any, anybody in the industry who's not tuned into the music that's happening now is somebody that I would like to talk to. So, you know, I do speak to people that have been, that are musicians, that have been in the industry for many years that aren't really... Um, so aware of the newer bands and what's going on. Um, so, yeah, there's not one person in particular I would single out and say, yeah, I want to tell them what's going on. I think, really, I'd love everybody to know about uh, the scene we've got going on over here. Now, you mentioned in the interview, too, about the relationships that you've built with promoters and how that's helping your cause how has that how has that developed over time? Yeah, it just seems to have happened very sort of organically. Um just gradually, you know, from being in so immersed in this scene, you get to know sort of who's who, who does what. And it's like a giant jigsaw puzzle where everyone sort of fits in somewhere and you you, you gradually learn about more and more people and um you know, through various pieces of work I've done. I've obviously been in touch with lots of different people and they contacted me. So um, it's just sort of developed very naturally that way, a bit like a 
a group of friends, I suppose, or you know, just um, have common interests, uh, common goals, and you, you end up not working together, but sort of alongside one another, I'd say. How do you determine a band that is something or viable that you want to talk to or who you want to talk to? Um, that, that really does depend. But there are often bands that I've uh, reviewed their music and that I haven't seen live yet uh, that arrange tours. And so I've, you know, I've been in touch with them. We speak to one another, I contact them and say, oh, you know, let's, let's arrange an interview. So those would be three interviews arranged for one night so I actually have venues that I use uh, locally that if I'm not doing uh, an interview at a gig before a concert for example then I'll invite the band or musician to if they're not too from not too far away, you know, to come up here and um, fulfill the interview. One of the venues I use, so yeah, I had sort of three the other night, and I've got another couple next weekend. So um, yeah, so you know, the interviews sort of come about in different ways. Either the band contacting me or or me contacting them. Interesting. Um, how does the how do the venues respond? You know, with you wanting to interview these artists, are they you know? Does it take a lot of you know pull or, or push from you know from you to try to do it? Or are they pretty open to doing that kind of stuff? No, well, one of them is really near to where I live, and um, I just sort of went in one day, and uh, I, I, I've been there before. It's like a, a cafe bar, and I thought, no, it's perfect. It's really big. I've got big upstairs seating area, um, and I sort of contacted the manager. They're like, will you come and film here? And they're absolutely so accommodating. They turn the music off for me when I'm there. I have the whole top deal for myself. I always make sure I choose the time when it's quiet for them. So I tend to do uh, Mondays. <laughs> and that's when I arrange my, my interviews there. Another venue in City Centre actually came about by chance because I was at um, a gig. I was seeing uh, Raven Eye, who I absolutely love. adore Raven Eye. And, um, yeah, I went to see them. We'd arranged an interview. This is actually the hottest day of the year here. So I remember it very, very well. Um, we arranged to do an interview, but there was actually nowhere sort of suitable in a particular venue to hold it. So meanwhile, there's another venue across the road, and I said, "One in there." I'd done an interview there before with another band. I said, "Oh, Chris, you know, do you mind if I sort of use this?" And not only did they say, "Yeah, that's fine," they actually showed me this whole other almost like a boardroom they have where they I don't know if they hold seminars or whatever it is, but it was absolutely ideal for an interview. So as soon as Raven and I finished the sound check, they came across the road and saw them into the other venue. And we did our interview there, and it was just perfect. So, you know, I said, well, I'm probably going to have a lot more interviews coming up. Would it be okay to use the venue? And, and they said, yeah, just get in touch, and, you know, it should be fine. So it's sort of all, everyone's been very, very helpful. You know, there's been a lot of support and very, very few barriers. So, um, you know, it's, it's absolutely great. You touched on the calls that you get from bands in the States about coming over to the UK. And you mentioned the expense that they're not prepared for, they weren't anticipating. What is the process for a band from the States to come over to the UK and start playing gigs in the UK? I mean, what is the challenges they face? What's the the mountains they got to climb? Okay, well, I mean, I've been contacted by bands, not just in the States, but from France, uh, from other European countries. And I don't know what these specific um, things are that they need to do to get the ball rolling over here. What they tend to do is ask me about promoters, and that's the first contact, really, that they need. Um, Venues comes afterwards, just getting a promoter on board. I'm not really in touch with that many promoters. So, and when I am, it's only really the local ones. And they're looking at doing sort of UK tours. So I'm not really able to help them much with that aspect of it. And because of that, I don't really know too much about the logistical side of it or or what the, the issues are with coming over and what they need to, to be doing. I'm not really able to help that much 
that side of things. I have a list of venues. Um, I know, you know venue managers and that sort of thing. But the, the initial contact they need to make, that's a trickier one. And it's very, very difficult for me to be able to drive on that because I just don't really know the answer. So the future is upon us, right? It's always every day is, is another present day that used to be in the future. Where do you see Anastella five years from now? Well, in the journalism side, I'm already doing. Um, and of course, there are a lot of music journalists, not journalists. Um, I find that I do get bored of things after I've been doing them for maybe a year and a half, two years. I thought I'm constantly wanting to, to move on, to progress, to, to get to the next level. And, you know, I, I do find I can empathize a lot with musicians because of that as well. We kind of have very similar goals. You know, they want to move on to the next level, so do I in what I'm doing. So I'm always thinking, right, what's the next step for me? What do I need to be doing and what do I need to be focusing on? Um, five years from now is really, really tough one because five years ago, I wasn't doing anything at all in music. So um, who knows what the future holds? Um I like to think I would have more, even more of an impact than I'm having at the moment uh, on the music scene and that the scene continues to be flourishing over here. Um, I don't know if people actually watch TV anymore. So when I had the idea of doing a TV show like, like the one that I used to watch in the 90s, I don't know if that would work. I mean, I'd love to hear people's opinions on that because that's what I had in mind. You know, I thought, from the start of my YouTube channel, I thought, you guys, that, that would be the next sort of step along. Um, but I don't know. But a lot of people, that, that anyone would have. yeah, a, a lot of yeah. people connect with these um, live podcasts, you know, like, uh, you know, whether it's a Joe Rogan or, you know, David Lee Roth has a live podcast and basically, you know, it could go anywhere from, you know, any, any, they sit like in a studio and they, um, interview people, artists that come in, different types of genres, whether it's a musician, whether it's a UFC you know, fighter, whether it's a actor or whoever. And that's really gaining a lot of traction here. Um, you know, these, these live podcasts, and then you can listen to them on a platform. You can watch it on YouTube. It's like a web-based program. That's really becoming kind of the thing. Um, yeah. And I can understand why, because, you know, you know YouTube, yeah. YouTube is, is a very personalized thing, right? Like you subscribe to what you want to subscribe to, you watch what you want to watch. And, you know, if, if something interests you like music, um, you know, a web-based program interviewing artists, you know, a few times a week and posting it and, you know, going on live. And I, I don't even know how that stuff's done because I'm not familiar with the production aspect of it. But that does seem to be going kind of the wave of the future um, because you can kind of control your own content. You have no one pushing against what you want to do or telling you what you need to do. You kind of develop it as you go. Yeah. I mean, there are music podcasts over here. And so I feel that I don't really want to be doing that. It feels like me that's already taken care of. Right. But what I don't see here is the band's getting visual exposure. You see what I mean? You, you know, unless, unless the bands themselves are doing a live um, stream or they're doing, they often do like live chats on their Instagram pages and whatever, which, which is great. But apart from that, you don't really see them. Unless you're going to a gig or you're watching a music video, you don't see them interacting with each other, talking. Um, and that's something that I would like, rather than sort of just hearing them, I like the visual aspect of sort of seeing the, the interaction between them and, and and that sort of thing. You know, you get really the, the, full, the full experience, you know, not just hearing them, but seeing them as well. And that's where I feel like I'm headed or would like to head. So whether that's TV or, or YouTube or what, I think we'll just have to wait and see. Um, well, but yeah, you, that's certainly what I'm thinking. Of. Yeah, you get them in their comfort zone, right, where they're they're relaxed. And when someone's relaxed, you know, I always bring shots when they've got beer with them, and you know, 
We're just having a chat. <laughs> right, right. But, you know, that's that's a that's an intimate interaction with someone, right? Where someone's relaxed and someone uh-huh. is, you know, not worried about what they say or worried about what they do. And you really get the honesty out of the person in those moments. Yeah. And also, I'm very much a person person. I like to be, you know, talking face-to-face, ideally. <laughs> Obviously, I can't forgive you because we're thousands of miles away, but, you know, the, the ideal for me is to actually be talking face-to-face and really, you can see how the band sort of come very much at ease pretty much straight away. Uh, they realize that I'm not, you know, interrogating them. Uh, it's all very relaxed and laid back and we have a good laugh and that's how I like it to be, you know, and I think it, I think that's fun to watch as well, so... Um, yeah, that, that, you know, that is definitely my, my thing. <laughs> Do you find that the artists and the bands are more trusting of you than they were before because your reputation is now, um, getting out there with new artists and new bands as the person to talk to and try to get exposure from, do you feel that there is, or do you still have to achieve that with each individual artist? Um, no, I think they're pretty trusting. I mean, they realize that. I'm on their side. Obviously, what I'm doing is promoting them. So um, I've never felt any sort of wariness from anybody that I've interviewed before. Um, it's always felt very natural and, and relaxed and, you know, just like a conversation. Uh, yeah, as it should be. So, um, yeah, that's never really been an issue for me personally. I sort of always like, you know, to interfere at ease and, yeah, yeah, it's great fun. So, um, can't complain. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've uh, we've gone a little bit over our hour mark here, and I once again I do appreciate you doing this. Is there anything that you want to promote or tell people about before we end the conversation? Oh, what do I want to promote? Um, well, I would ask people to check out the new wave of classic rock. Um, not just the Facebook page, but I mean, in general, um, it's a term that's now become widely used by a lot of the up and coming rock and metal bands out here. So, um, I say check that out. Uh, look into new music. Uh, like we've already said, it's, it's really as easy now than ever before. Um, and, and I'd say that's it, really. <laughs> support the bands. They yes. buy the merch. But not these bands now. They're not making money and the money they are making is, is basically from merch sales, uh, you know, T-shirts and records at gigs. So, yeah, if they buy the merch and support the bands, and without band support, you know, they wouldn't be able to continue. That's a huge thing. I tell that to people all the time. If you go to a show and you like the band that you see up on stage, don't go home and stream their music. Go buy their CD, go buy their T-shirt, go buy their pins, go buy their stickers, but go buy all that stuff yeah. because that's what's helping them. It is, definitely. Yeah. Well, great. And I do appreciate you doing this once again. Thank you for allowing me to talk with you. Thank you so much for having me. Well, hey, anytime you want to come on and anytime you want to talk about anything new, please do. You, you have a home here. Thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you, Anne. Once again, this is Jay Scott, and you are listening to The Hook, the Ultimate Rock Community Podcast. Hope everyone has a great day today, and we will hook up again soon. Thank you. With one of the best savings rates in America, banking with Capital One is the easiest decision in the history of decisions. Even easier than choosing Slash to be in your band. Next up for lead guitar. You're in. Cool. (laughs) Yep, even easier than that. And with no fees or minimums on checking and savings accounts, is it even a decision? That's banking reimagined. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com slash bank for details. Capital One and a member FDIC. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points. 